I, I think ChatGPT is disrupting everything. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think it's going to literally change the world. The thing is, the world doesn't know. Once the world realizes what this is, all these corporations are going to take off. All these things are going to happen. And people are going to turn around and be like, whoa, when did the world change so quick? That That's literally what's going to happen. Welcome to the Product Quest Podcast. Thanks for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Scott Burleson, and joining me as always, my co-hosts, Jan Vermouth and Jonathan Edwards. Today, we welcome our special guest, Dr. Harvey Castro. Dr. Castro has such a diverse and amazing background, it's tough to know where to begin. He's a serial entrepreneur who started his first company selling vitamins at age 16. He's a physician, an executive, an entrepreneur, and product developer, having having had teams to create over 30 apps. And oh, by the way, he's also the author of multiple books. In particular, he's been writing about the intersection of healthcare and AI, something we're sure to get into today. Dr. Harvey Castro, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor to be here, and I'm excited about today. <laughs> we are too. We are too. <laughs> Well, Harvey, there's a million places we could begin, but uh, and we're most interested in your thoughts about healthcare and AI. We're definitely destined to get there. But before we get going, I want to I want to ask you about an interesting anecdote from your past. You began writing books for other med students to help pay for your own medical education. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, uh, the big thing in life for me has always been think outside the box. I, I come from a really humble beginning, literally nothing on food stamps, government insurance, basically helping me live life as an infant or as a child born to a teenage mom. And so moving forward, it wasn't easy for me to do much. And so it was kind of a big deal for me to go to med school in the sense that I, I couldn't afford anything. I didn't, they, I couldn't ask my mom for money or anything like that. So to my to your point, uh, I thought, huh, if I start writing uh, snippets of different, uh, like I call it like cliff notes of medicine, why not sell this to medical students? And then this could help pay for things that I need as a medical student. Um, I'm looking back, I'm glad I did those kind of things because it, it helped. Um, and I helped others more importantly, I was able to help my classmates. And, and for me, it's interesting, if you teach someone something or explain it, you really understand it. But if you think you understand it and you try to teach it, then you're like, holy crap, I really don't understand this. Um, so then it's it's kind of good in a way because I feel like it it really enforced many concepts in my mind. Yeah, it really is this sort of win 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 idea. When you when you try to explain it, if you you yeah. think you understand it, all of a sudden like it doesn't make sense or you have trouble articulating yeah. it, or if if it starts to come out too complicated, those are sort of all flags that man, maybe I don't understand it so well. What are some things you've taken away from that, from your experience that you still apply today? Well, you know, there's an old adage in medicine, and we call it, and I'm not, I'm trying to make sure I don't butcher it because it's been since med school, but it's basically see one. So I see a procedure done in medicine. I do one myself immediately. Yeah. And then I teach one. And yeah. that principle I still use today. Um, you know, I almost challenge myself many times where I'm like, okay, I've never done this, but just because I haven't done it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. I'm going to try my best to do it. And so I'll jump in and do it. And then later I catch myself then teaching others. Uh, and so that principle since back then, I'm, I'm almost 50 next year and I'm still doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's nice. what is it? See one, do one, teach one. Yeah. 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 That's the big thing in med school. 
you know, it's kind of crazy because I remember uh, being in residency and medical school and literally they'd be like, all right, Harvey, come over here. And then I'd go and then they'd teach me to uh, I, I'd watch uh, some, for example, I'd see some, I, I worked, there was a lot of uh, prisoners at our med school. We had a, the state prison. So we got to do a lot of stuff on prisoners because unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, they didn't have much rights. So they, we, yeah. they'd allow us to do more stuff than the private citizens. Yeah. And so I'll never forget, I saw a, um, a surgery done. And then literally the next day, they're like, okay, Harvey, you were here yesterday, you know, the drill, put your hands in there and let's go. And my mouth dropped. I'm like, oh my God, you're really, you're going to have me do this. I just saw one yesterday. It's like, dude, you you know, the knowledge, you know, the book knowledge, wow. you saw one. Now it's time for you to do it. And man, talk about learning quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just med school. Uh, the other crazy moment, I remember when we had to intubate someone for the first time and I thought, holy cow, here I am. I mean, obviously there's professors next to me and they can walk me through it and help, but still, you know, just to see something literally, and then be like, all right, here you go. Now it's your turn. It, it's yeah. it's crazy. So if you apply that principle to life, it, it's amazing. If you push yourself, how much you can actually do. Hmm. Wow. The, um, you know, in looking through your background, a lot, a lot of folks were trying to sort of initially understand them, you know, sort of think in terms of Venn diagrams, like this person's at the intersection of this area and this area. Okay. Well, when I'm thinking, when I was thinking about trying to think about you, I've got a lot of circles. Okay. So just a few that occur to me. Entrepreneurship, we've talked about healthcare, also technology, and then personal success from a book you you had written earlier. And there's probably more than those four, but those are just the, the four that jump out at me. But really, what it for you, what's the common thread about those? What is it that you most hope to with all these different areas of expertise you've been gathering? professionally what is it that you most hope to accomplish you know that's a hard one and i'll explain it i honestly think it goes back to my why and my mm. why is i grew up with basically nothing yeah. and so i have this inherent part of me that even though you know my wife tells me all the time it's like what are you trying to prove and i'm like i'm i'm not trying to prove anything yeah. i just want to keep going but my heart is, and this sounds cliche-ish, my heart is with patience. My heart is with helping others. And I find myself just looking at problems and thinking, okay, how can I help this one person? Or how can I help this population? And then it becomes more than me, um, you know, not to promote my book, but ChatGPT, when it first came on, wasn't about a business, wasn't about making money or anything. And it still isn't. It's just, how can I help others? And that one principle has drove me to do more. Um, and that's why I think it, it, I don't quite fit in a box. I think it's many boxes uh, because as a doctor, as a provider, I thought, okay, I know medicine. Um, later, I went back and I've started multiple companies in healthcare and I feel like I know business. And I thought, how can I maximize my knowledge to help others? Not just stay in the boxes of a doctor or stay in a box as a CEO why not combine the two, create something different, look at problems differently, and really just go go at it, have fun, and and just like do something that no one else has done. And so I'm I'm, I'm excited about this space. Uh, when I look to my right and left and look at other doctors, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be side by side with them. But I'm excited to be a leader and kind of promote things a little differently and see things a little differently and kind of open their eyes to different things. Mm -hmm. Um, that's fantastic. A couple of things really jump out at me. 
one is how might I help one person? How might I help? I guess as a physician, you know, when you're operating, whatever, treating somebody, you're not treating a segment, a market segment, like yeah. that individual with all their, whatever their individual DNA and medical history is. It's like, yeah, they're part of a population. They're part of a market segment in entrepreneurship. You think about that, but at some point it's you, the solution, you're the solution. And then that one individual patient. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's humbling. Uh, I I I thank God literally daily for giving me the ability to help others, and and I've taken it to the next level in a sense. I, as I get older, I know uh, my body's not meant to be working twenty four seven, two in the morning at five. It's it's hard. Uh, it's hard on the personal life to tell your loved ones like, hey, sorry it's your birthday, but I got to be at work. Yeah. Um, and and you know, because most people in general work. Uh, during the week, but as an ER doctor, you're working nights, weekends, holidays. The ER doesn't just close because it's Christmas or New Year's, you know, or if it's your wedding anniversary, it doesn't. It's still open, and so you, it, it's hard. I, I literally would work a string of uh, nights, weekends, just to have seven days off in a row. And then if I did that, I paid for it because then I'd come right back and work hard. So, you know, uh, just a little bit of my soapbox on that one. <laughs> but my big picture is I'm trying to help others in the sense that I'm using digital health. Mm-hmm. I sat down and thought about him like, what is one way that I could help the most? And I thought, okay, if I'm working with telemedicine companies, I work for a company called Vital Health. If I'm a, um, a scientific advisor on certain panels or certain companies, and if I can tell them, hey, XYZ is a different way of um, helping patients or doing using your product, um, then I'm actually helping more people than just that one person at that one time. Let's talk about oh. this book, by the way, are you going to say something, Jan? But, well, I was just going to, going to ask like how, how I'm trying to imagine how is your week or your day split? Like what are, how much is kind of like healthcare patient work? How much is entrepreneurs? So just have a general yeah. picture on that. Um, most of my time is not seeing patients. Uh, most of my time is helping the vital health company that I'm working for. It's a, a telemedicine platform, helping them um, with their platform and looking at different generations of things that they're able to do that I feel no one else in, in the world is okay. doing. So we're working on some projects that I, I can't wait to announce. The other part of my day, um, I have this writing bug in me now. I love <laughs> writing. So I've been probably writing too much. And I know my wife wants to kill me sometimes because I'm like, wait, I just had a good thought. I'm going to really write work on this and I'm going to post this real quick on LinkedIn. And um, and so that's another part of my day. And then obviously the books behind me um, today, I literally, as I'm about to jump on uh, with you guys, I got a notification that Amazon accepted another book and it's on entrepreneurship and AI that literally got got approved today. Um, and so my day is kind of everywhere. <laughs> uh, and I'm also an advisor for a couple of companies. So we have scheduled meetings that I sit down and, and kind of yeah. tell them what I see. Uh, the best part is, you know, as, as we get older, the dream of having a job should always be something that you enjoy and love. And it's not called a job. It's just you're enjoying life and you're doing it. And the older I get, the more and more I try to focus on that. With that said, Obviously, uh, family life and personal life is important. I, I've noticed that over the last couple of weeks, I've been really productive, but I'm also starting to gain weight again. So I'm like, okay, I need to go back to working out, go back on my walks, go back on my dailies. Yeah. 
Uh, no one's perfect. Yeah, you know, it's it's really hard. And I literally just wrote a book about weight loss. I'm like, all right, now I really need to go back to what I wrote. <laughs> I need to get into this. Um, but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, but anyway, that I hope that yeah. kind of answers your question. No, yeah, totally. And I I know the weight problem very well. <laughs> as do I. As do I. You know, I I, I want to talk about one of your books, but I have to really narrow it down. You're so prolific. But the one I'm, I'm particularly looking at is Chat GBT in Healthcare, Unlocking the Potential of Patient Engagement. I'm sorry, of Patient Empowerment, Patient Empowerment. Yeah. And here's the big thing when I was look, reading through this, what jumped out at me. Um, you're speaking to the benefits of patients as the main benefit as opposed to, you know, entrepreneurs or physicians or hospital executives or all these other or all these other I hate to use the word fat cats but other <laughs> other I mean what am I trying to say more powerful actors in the yeah. ecosystem let's let's put yeah. it that way um now can you can you elaborate and you already sort of hinted to that a little bit along the way but you know wanting the importance of how do I help this one person so just what would be sort of the cliff notes of, of, of that? I mean, in that, you know, how can you elaborate on how AI and chat GBT as a patient, as patients, how can this really help them to have, you know, better experiences, get better outcomes? Oh, good question. So I, I know I tend to be a little long-winded, but let me give you a quick background story. Oh, you can be uh, long-winded here. <laughs> okay. Um, as an ER doctor, one of the things I hated was, the large corporations telling me how to practice medicine. Yeah. I hate it when I did it, when they would say, Hey, you're doing too much for your patients. Let them go to their family doctor and they'll figure it out. And I'm like, I, I come from a poor background. I'm like, you know what? A lot of times this is the only doctor they will ever see. So the answer is then I'm just telling them they're not going to get it. And the answer is no, I'm going to do it. And so I'll call, I call it being called into the principal's office all the time. I, I felt like the administration didn't dislike me, but they got on me a lot about doing things. And I get about using resources and whatnot, but I felt like I was doing what was best for the patient. And for me, that was the most important over anything. I didn't get an MD uh, to get rich. I didn't get an MD to be so-called called doctor. I got an MD to help. And I felt like I was humbled to be able to do it and I was going to do it. So with that said, uh, when I came across ChatGPT, it really opened my eyes because as I was literally, it came out in late November, I was playing with, I, I think I got lucky. I just happened to be playing with it. And I thought in my mind, huh, this is going to be the next iPhone. This is going to be the next big deal. And I'm going to be out there uh, chiming the bell, telling other doctors, hey, wake up, look at this thing. And on the patient side, I'm going to teach them how to use this tool. And so to that second book that came out in February of this year, it it the press the the reason I wrote it and reason I called it empowerment is because I thought this is a way patients can get an, a, a way of healthcare. And I know it sounds I know people out there will be like, well, there's hallucination. This thing is not ready. What are you doing? You're going to be killing people. And I'm and my answer is no. If if you go through the book, I, I'm very methodical and I go over an algorithm that I came up with on how it could be used safely. I go over all the the bad, the good, the bad, the ugly about ChatGPT. Obviously, the hallucinations, the how to use it, uh, when not to use it. Because going back to the original question, how could it empower a patient? The way I see it, 
and this is my biased opinion, I feel like a lot of stuff in life is all about education. If I can educate you about a disease, if I can educate you about your health, the more you know, let's just call it your health IQ goes up. And as your health IQ goes up, you inadvertently will start looking at things saying, you know what, I shouldn't have pizza before I go to bed every night. Maybe I should try something tonight different. And slowly over time, you're going to start doing things that is going to improve your health. And my point is, if you can use this technology to improve your health, obviously there's bias in understanding the limitations, then to me, that's no different than going on Google and trying to look up stuff. Now it's actually creating a personalized effect in the sense that you're asking it, hey, I'm a 50-year-old Hispanic male with prediabetes, I'm overweight, what are the things that I can do to improve my health? And it lists out and it even gives you references if you ask. And now you're able to look at that information and say, you know what, I'm going to change my, my life. I'm going to work on my health. And even if that improves your lifestyle or increases your life by six months, well, heck, it, it helped. It seems. So what's the hallucination you speak of? So let's go over hallucination. So I take a pause and sigh. Basically, when you go into ChatGPT, uh, or let's just call it any GPT, because now we have BARD and Fast forward six months, I would assume there's going to be something else. And so in the future, uh, my soapbox is the following. Just because we call it ChatGPT, that's going to be the equivalent of Kleenex. And so everybody's going to call everything ChatGPT, even if it's they're using BART. So that's my little soap note. But, but going to hallucination, the following. When you ask a question, and I'm going to use my personal uh, ER experience. If I go into ChatGPT and I say, hey, um, what is a, a procedure in pediatric cardiology? I, I like using that example. And show me the steps. And I go through and I'm like, hmm, I have an MD. I'm a doctor. Yep, all that looks good. And I say, yep, that, that is 100% correct. Turn over to my left here and I talk to a pediatric cardiologist. He reads the same thing and he looks over at me and says, no, dude, this is so wrong. Like medically, it sounds correct, but this is not anything I would ever do or any pediatric surgeon. And this is totally off. So the hallucination basically is ChatGPT tells me what it thinks it is, but in reality, it's false. And the scarier part is that half of that document can be correct and the other half could be wrong. Yeah. Or if I ask for a reference, sometimes the author doesn't match the article or yeah. the whole thing doesn't even match what it's talking about. And so I caution patients when using this technology because if you're using it for something like, I know a lot of people out there are trying to self-diagnose, which I'm against. And, you know, in some other countries, like in Switzerland, I would imagine you can go to the local pharmacy and pick up whatever drug because, you know, you self-diagnose. Whereas here in the States, you have to write a prescription. And I know some places, I don't know if Switzerland is the case, but I'm making that up. But my point is this, a lot of harm can be done because of this hallucination where somebody goes in. They ask it questions, it tells them something and it's totally wrong or it's hallucinating that I just explained. And then they go out and act on it. And unfortunately they take a drug or from an emotional point, they're like, oh my God, I have this disease. And now they're just traumatized that they were told that they have this. And that's the part where it gets a little tricky with this technology and, and obviously the human effect of talking to a patient. That makes sense. If it's completely right, that's good. If it's clearly wrong that's sort of good too because you recognize it but it's like the the most the most worrisome lie is one that's 
probably 90% true, right? Or so much true that there's some, there's a, there's a bit in there that's going to cause a lot of damage. Um, if, if it's, you know, if you get your insulin medicine off by a, a decimal point, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or for exactly. Example. You know, but, so interesting. So I, um, I'm one of the things that I get the, the pleasure of living life with is plantar fasciitis. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you may, something you manage, right. It's never completely gone. It's just, you do stretches, you do stuff. But early on in my plantar fasciitis journey, as a lot of people would do, you try a lot of things that don't work, but I read a lot. I mean, I could have written, I could have done, gotten a PhD in it. I mean, <laughs> I, when I said I did research, I did a lot, nutrition, everything. And so, but I remember going to the podiatrist and they were wanting to give me a cortisone shot. And I said, well, won't that make the ligament weaker? Which actually it does. But anyways, and their reaction was, oh, somebody's been doing One of those. <laughs> And I wanted to punch him in the face because <laughs> I'm dealing, this, this is like my daily pain, like not metaphorical pain, literal pain. Yeah. And, I, but I could sense that they didn't feel like I was helping the conversation by my research. And you, you mentioned a minute ago, you don't really like people to self-diagnose. So where's that balance of the pay, an educated patient versus going too far? I, I didn't like their answer to me. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm all about us being informed patients, informed yeah. consumers, however you want to label it. I'm all about that. This is where it becomes kind of a philosophical, kind of interesting question. You yeah. go to ChatGPT to ask a question because you don't know. If you knew, yeah. you wouldn't be asking it because yeah. why would you? And so automatically you're kind of stuck. And so how do I feel about it? I honestly think if, and you have to go through the algorithm, but the skin is the following if I get a piece of information, I need to verify that with that person. So if we're talking about preventive medicine, then I would say go to your family doctor. And I call it being a very efficient patient, meaning don't just go to your doctor and just wait to see what he has to say or she just jump in there and say, look, these are my questions. This is what this is. And you'd say, this is what ChatGPT said and asked me to ask you. And and this is what I believe. What do you think? Yeah. And that would be the right way to use it. That way it's a dialogue. You're yeah. learning instead of just being passive and the doctor only has two minutes and you're just like, I don't know. But then if you have a list of questions, then you're forcing the doctor to say, you know what, spend time with me or send a physician assistant or someone that can tell me X, Y, and Z. Um, the other part to that is, again, going back to preventative medicine, I, I, I think we need to learn as a society. What's interesting is I, I call it like a healthcare IQ level. I would love there. I'm sure there is a study out there that says, okay, this is the level we're at in healthcare. And I would fair to say fast forward, I don't know, two years, five years, it's going to be a dramatic increase because everyone is obviously using Google, using now ChatGPT. And and my other point to your point just now, one of the actual reasons that I wrote this book is for patients that are like you. And let me explain. (laughs) I, I, I thought it through and I said, how embarrassing you go through medical school, residency, you're reading journals, <laughs> yeah. and then a patient comes in and says, oh, I use ChatGPT, and it told me this, and then yeah. the doctor responds with, what's ChatGPT? Yeah. I mean, would you lose credibility at that point? Yeah. The answer is yes. Yeah. And so I thought, man, <laughs> poor docs, they're working their butt off and don't have time, then let me help them kind of explain what's out there so that they can help patients. And so my vision is the following why not create a platform where 
I am a doctor, you're a patient. Obviously, there's a relationship between us. You trust me. Again, you're not going to go over to the next guy. You want to continue with me. So why not create a portal where you can upload questions? You can say, hey, I found this, this, and that. And then me as your provider saying, approve. That yeah. way you can use that information that way. And then and then I can obviously have more stuff and say, hey, approve. But on your next visit, or want you schedule a telemedicine visit and let's talk about this because this is going to help your health. Yeah. Why not? So this was actually my my question, which was um, uh, we started the discussion on hallucinations, and I, maybe you've given a, a path forward here. But how do we get around this this problem? I mean, if you, as you mentioned, I mean, if you you're going on ChatGPT to ask a question, it means that you don't know the answer, and as someone who doesn't know the answer, you cannot judge if the answer is is good or not. So so it seems like a conundrum. How yeah. do you get out of that? Well, there's two things going on. One, um, you guys are going to laugh. One is ChatGPT4 is way better than ChatGPT, the one prior. And so there's less hallucination on that than the prior. And if you look at it from a scientific subjective point of view and just look at USMLE, which is in the United States, what we do to take these uh, tests that we take, step one, step two, step three, it actually has done better in the fourth edition than the first or than the one prior. And so that's good because it looks like we're moving forward. But to answer your question, how can we solve this problem? This is my my personal take. Um, just like we mentioned earlier, GPT, uh, ChatGPT could be named, labeled as Kleenex. Well, I think there'll be a different Kleenex coming. And I call it BioGPT or maybe it's Bard. Um, I'm putting my money, <laughs> that, there's really no money behind it, but I'm putting money on uh, that it'll be BioGPT, because what will that do? If the brain in my mind is I've been studied, I'm going down this path, then it would make sense to create a GPT that all its knowledge is coming from all the medical literature, all the resources that are out there. So the only thing it can output is things that it's been approved by. So PubMed, CDC, uh, sources that are credible. And then add the human layer, this is just me talking out loud, not that I've seen this, but then add the human layer to go through and test it and then reinforce the database so that this machine learning can do better so that I, as a doctor, as an ER doctor, I can go through, ask it questions and say, oh, this is good, this is bad, and then give the computer feedback so that fast forward, patients can now start using this technology and helping them. And now it's less likely to have hallucination. But Again, this is beta, in my opinion. This is early to, to how can we use it today is the question. I would say, unfortunately for now, is that those scenarios where I said you have to verify it with the doctor, you have to verify it with the source. So if it's a nutrition advice, then I would say, hey, talk to a nutritionist. If it's you know, how to fix my car, well, then use it, but then talk to a mechanic and say, hey, is this, this correct? That's the only way for you to use it, in my opinion, to use it safely. Uh, my worry is people just not knowing that this hallucination even exists. And then they just use it hard, 100% saying, oh, this is passing the boards and this is passing the law exams. I'm sure it's good. When in reality, it's not. Yeah. But can I, so I think, but that, I mean, that, I, I, I completely see the, the, the issue of, of, of those hallucinations and stuff. And that's, and that's worrying once you actually realize that it, that it happens. But, but that, I mean, as you said, it's so early. I mean, there's what a couple of weeks that we are actually really playing around with it. Maybe okay, fine. Maybe it's months. So give it five years. 
I think then then we will we will advance exactly probably in the way you you described. And plus, to be honest, like it's not that like okay, we say that ChatGPT has some kinds of hallucinations. We make stuff up all the time, and we don't even realize. It. So, like your memory is really a biased thing, and you remember things that aren't there. So, so I see that that is an issue, in, in and because it's healthcare, it's really really dangerous. But I really think there is even more potential probably be, behind that, and I would love you have your opinion on this because we did a couple of projects in in, in healthcare, and one of the hardest things for people to do is speak the medical language. I mean, you either you get either you don't know how to describe your own symptoms, especially in telemedicine. You're you're asked to describe your symptoms, but what words should I use? And what if I describe it the wrong way, and then the doctor prescribes me the wrong thing? And like training normal people or like non-medical people in that very specific language that 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 is is used, and and sometimes you get a diagnosis from a doctor, and he or she uses words you don't understand. So. I think there is a lot of potential just in this, in, in kind of facilitating the discussion, because it's not that easy to, to understand the diagnosis that you get or a test. You get a test result back. I, I remember doing a COVID test and I got the results back. And of course, they wrote nicely or unfortunately it was positive, but they, they wrote that positive. And then there is some kind of number where they measured some kind of thing and I had no clue what it is. And it takes quite some time to figure out what, what actually happened. How do I like, is that a lot or is it so? I think there's a lot of potential just in this kind of finding a shared language or, or uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you, yeah, how do so, you see that? So let's blow that up. I love what you said. Um, it sounds, it's going to sound funny the way I'm going to say this, but it sounds like it's a, a language issue. My yeah. language is medicine. Uh, let's just call a, a regular person's language is regular language. How to both meet in the middle. Yeah. As a ER doctor, as a doctor, I have been trained to make sure that when I speak to a patient, I don't speak in medical terms. I, I speak in, at a fifth grade level because that's the ideal level. Because if you can explain it to a fifth grader, then you're probably yeah. the adult will understand. The problem is not all of us translate well. Some doctors <laughs> yeah. have a hard time breaking the doctor mold. Some doctors just talk and think in such doctor terms that they don't practice talking in a simple form. And to my point earlier about being able to teach, I'm a big advocate about teaching. If I can't teach a patient, then I feel like I failed. And so, and I've been on TV over a hundred times for during COVID. So I've done a lot of teaching. And so my point is this, I probably do a better job because of my personality, better job because of my background from my upbringing and my understanding of coming from different socioeconomic groups that I'm like, okay, yeah. You don't, and I grew up in New York City, so you don't talk to a person at this country like this. You got to talk to them like that because the culture. And so my yeah. point is, we this technology, to your point, will help us meet in the middle. Will yeah. help break it down because honestly, some doctors just have a hard time thinking in that term. So this is a beauty. I'll give you an example on both sides. To your example, if we were talking about diabetes, I can say, give me this diagnosis and treatment plan as if I was a fifth year old or a fifth grader. And then it'll yeah. change all that instructions and I can literally hand it to you and say, I look at it obviously, and then give it to you. And then now you're like, huh, this makes sense. But yes. then the truth is opposite for you. This thing called diabetes, what the heck is this? And then you're going to start reading, you're going to look at it. And then your level will start going up and up. And then now when we yeah. speak, you're like, oh yeah, doc, I know that. I know that. Got it. It's going to be a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree. And I think that is really, and that's really then empowerment. I mean, then you can yes. kind of, then as a patient, you, you, you're, you're, you're able to make decisions or yes. well, well, at least make better decision, hope, hopefully for yes. your health. Yes. And, and, and to Scott's point, I, I love when patients come in I'm, uh, informed. I know some doctors are like, oh God, here goes Google and here comes ChatGPT. And, and it's not thing against the doctor or the patient. I think at the end of the day, I'm going to blame the insurance company. Uh, they're forcing us to see patients quicker and quicker. And, and I made this other observation just to make, have people think out there. Everyone's saying, oh, ChatGPT is going to give me more time with my patients. But I honestly think I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm optimist, but on this one, I'm a little bit of a pessimist. I think what's going to happen is technology is going to make us so efficient, so many things that it's going to go right back to how it was before. So if I were having to see three, four patients an hour, maybe now I have to see six, seven patients an hour or more because now I'm using technology. Um, and then the insurance company is going to adjust and say, you know what? This is the normal output. This is what we pay here. Here you go. That's just my, 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 my cynical thought. <laughs> And to agree with you, it's the the one of the great um, promises of this technology is to get to have more productive conversation per unit of time, and of course the so then you imagine well if I still have my twelve minutes with my patient I can do all these more things, and then but then that twelve minutes gets squeezed to eight or to seven or what you know whatever it is I, that's that's a painful thought. It is. Because, I don't like mentioning yeah. that, but I, I think that's what's what's going to happen, unfortunately. So yeah. we don't give access to ChatGPT to any insurance. That's that's. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we'll just keep it right here. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk to OpenAI to help us out on that one. <laughs> I think this is a big thing you guys hit on about language, though, because again, also doing projects in healthcare, one of the wonderful things interviewing physicians is there's such a precision in language, hemostasis. Dysuria. There's a word, and what that word, if you're talking to physicians, they all know. I mean, like you can have super efficient conversation. You don't have to say the yeah. bleeding of this and that. I mean, you can, you can, they, it's that language. Yeah. But then crossing that over into the patients. So there is, it works both ways. As a patient, if you can better know that language, which is probably not something you can count on. But Harvey, what I love what you're saying is as a physician, I can, I can. Instead of hemostasis, let me say something else. Or how can I make this in, how can I, you know, I, I love the precision of my medical terms, but how can I be similarly precise or close enough and, and be clear in what I'm communicating? I, I think that's a huge uh, point you guys brought up. And, and so I'm almost imagining like you got the physician's brain and you've got the patient's brain, and then you've got like the body of knowledge. Right. And so we're trying to get information to go back both ways. Right. Where the, pa the physician wants to understand what the patient's feelings, it's, you know, and they're taking tests and gathering data, you know, and you want that to be as error free as possible. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but when I'm personally meeting with the physician, I'm, I'm like super careful in what I say, because I don't want to lead them down the wrong path. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, if, you know. So I'm very measured in my responses, but I, I don't know how common common that is. But I think this language is a big. Harvey, you think about this all the time. But so this is sort of a revelation to me. But that, that seems like a big part of what this promise could deliver on. Yeah, and to elaborate to your point, again, not all doctors are equal. Just like no one's the same as someone else. Yeah, 
I've taken a lot of time and, and I, I yeah. love studying. And one of the things I learned early in my career is there are certain biases that happen yeah. during an interview. For example, yeah. if a nurse yeah. comes in and it's like, oh, here's Miss Smith. And she always has this disease. Yeah. Just here. Mm. She's just here for this drug here. Give it to her and I'll do it. Just write the script and say hi and, and let her go. That is biasing the doctor to the point where like, oh, yeah, it is. And if doctor's not aware that they're making that type of mistake. Yeah. then they're going to misdiagnose. They may end up killing a patient. And the more you understand the different types of biases, the better you'll mm -hmm. be able to communicate. And yeah. one of them is just the language. If yeah. I said, oh, no, I told, uh, I told Scott about this disease and I went through it, but I spoke in my language and he took in maybe 5% of it, then did I really explain anything to him? Probably not. Yeah, just because Mrs. Smith complains about headaches, and has for 20 years, that doesn't mean she doesn't have a brain tumor. That's exactly. that doesn't inoculate her from actually having uh something. Yeah. And, and here's another thing you're sort of reminding me of when interviewing physicians. Um it's hard for me from the outside to know what's a rational bias to even have, but I've noticed that if there can be a single, like terrible, horrendous outcome with one patient, and that memory just burns so brightly sepsis or something mm -hmm. that un unforeseen that they they just had this hyper awareness it, from the outside i could be wrong but it almost feels like that just so colors their perception of the next folks because of that deep em emotional experience with us it could be just a single bad outcome um wow. what's your thoughts about that is that it, it I, to me it's all about how you channel your energy yeah. If you make a mistake, if you see something tragic in your practice or in your life, you're going to be hyper aware for the next. It's how you act on the next one. Yeah. You know, I'll give you a, a simple example is as an ER doctor, I've seen so many fractures, so many kids doing stupid things that I'm that I'm hyper vigilant to the point where as my poor children were growing up, I'd like freak out when they jump off the couch or yeah. run around the house with no shoes and then like slip. I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, you're going to break your leg or you're going to break this. And then I came to find out, okay, take a deep breath. You're probably only seeing the 1% of the time that these guys are doing this. And yeah. so then I've been more selective on how I use that data and how I can educate and how I can help patients and so forth. So, yeah. The, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just wondering. So, so I, I, I think one of the questions I also have in, 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 in mind is how, like, how, assuming that John GPT is going to be, or, the chat GPTs are going to be helpful uh, uh, down the road. How do we, how do we um, kind of manage the adoption? How do we boost the adoption of that either on the patient side and probably maybe, well, I don't know, but also on the doctor's side, like, like, what do you think? Or I mean, because there are probably reasonable barriers to, to, oh, yeah. to that adoption or how do you see that? I think I'm stuck on education too much, but I, I really, really think a lot of problems can be solved with education. So if you can educate the providers on the good, the bad, the ugly, and do the same with the patients, now you're able to use it. Obviously, one of the biggest things in healthcare, it's not, it's it's different from looking at it as for marketing. If it was marketing, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you're like, ah, if, if, if we make a hallucination and we don't market this correct, maybe we don't get that many sales. Okay. But if you do it in healthcare and someone dies now, now it's not the same thing. Yeah. And so one of the biggest barriers, and I, I hate to use the word barriers, but one of the things that we need to really 
evaluate is privacy. If we can look at it as here's our block and to go to Scott's example of using band diagrams, I like that. If we can look at the cross section of where we can do the benefits today, in my opinion, I'm, I'm gonna blame it more on the doctor side. We can use it more on the doctor side because doctors should know better. Doctors should know if that's hallucinating or not, especially if it's in their field. And so if you take that uh, moment and think about that, then moving forward, um, my opinion is on the education side, doctors can get better educated, can keep up with the latest knowledge. They can use that technology. You know, imagine uh, every 72 days, medical knowledge doubles. And so if you we meet in you know a couple of months, 72 days from now, I should know twice as much. And so if that kind of stresses on me, then I need to specialize in a certain part of medicine so that I can make sure that I know that. And so how can I use ChatGPT to answer this big question is on the education side, it can educate me, it can send me emails, it can be websites, it can interact where I'm learning my field, eventually it'll get there. And then how can I do it today? Well, on the patient side, I really think it's all about education. So on the backside is on my website, on my discharge instructions, on my education, I can create a whole platform on educating you but I have to give the blessings of that information. Now it's on me again. That's why I put it on the doctor. So let's use plantar fasciitis. If I'm an orthopedic surgeon, then my job is to look at all my discharge instructions and forget about giving the same discharge over and over. Let me figure out a way to interact this with ChatGPT in a way that I can obviously look at the output, but then make sure that every time Scott comes, he's getting the latest and greatest discharge instruction. Because I would fair to say some of these EMRs that are out there is probably the same discharge that was five years ago. Has medicine not changed in five years? Maybe, maybe not. But maybe on some diseases it has, and it's not reflected. And that's how I think we can use this technology. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I, For better or worse, I got to experience a patient experience over the winter. I'll just share this briefly, but I, there's, a, there's a thing I think it's relevant for, but so I had a, I, had a, I was playing soccer with the kids. I actually, I had a hamstring avulsion, which means it's completely torn off the bone. It's extremely rare, extremely mm -hmm. rare. Doesn't but sound nice. Was not fun. But here, but here's why I bring it up. So I had the accident on Monday and got just sort of very, very vague information back from the ortho that evening. And we had to be very aggressive at just pestering them to get an MRI. They didn't want to do an MRI. It's not approved, this and that. It's like, I'll pay for it. We have to have an MRI. I'm pushing for the MRI. We get the MRI. That's when we learned it was torn. But then from there, it's like, oh, we don't, you know, our normal orthopedists don't really deal with this. We think, you know, this guy will refer it to you. Um, but so with a smidgen of research, it was critical to get do something quickly. And so we're like pestering them, pestering them to get this appointment. We get the appointment and it, we end up getting the surgery a week later. But the amount of effort we had to spend, what you would, here's what you would have liked to have happened. You'd have liked to have gone in and be like um been a course, like a concierge service, be guided. We had we had such a burden on us to net for to navigate what tests I needed. Um, so there may not be a great question in here other than, you know, I mean, yeah. what is there, is there promise that, and, and I'm probably not a typical patient either. A lot of people probably would just go home and whatever, I'll, I'll, we ice it. It's not yeah. going to heal by icing it, but you know, what's the, 
can it can this help the people like me in the future to navigate? So it's not only the thing to do, but it's the it's the instructions I was given. It was the amount of effort that I mean, we people in general, I don't think are going to spend that much effort to make sure they get the right things. And I remember reflecting back on it like, wow, um, there, there's, you know, 99 out of 100 people a week later, they're still there's still have a problem. Yeah. I honestly think it's just a matter of time. If to uh Young's uh point, things are changing so fast. If this is like the first taste of this technology and and they haven't released the next edition, because you know ChatGPT 5 is already out there that yeah. they're playing with and t- tinkering. If that's already there and, and we're only, you know, I'm not gonna t- say the time, but if we're only at 4.0. Here's my vision. I, I I think to your point is the following, and I'm using the basis of Microsoft came out with this cool product that's hitting. Um, big picture, they're creating uh, ChatGPT, integrating into Word, uh, PowerPoint, all that good stuff. And and the way I understood it and the way I see it happening is, and I know people are going to cringe out there saying, oh man, there's Big Brother going to take over your computer now. Um, but that that's a separate podcast. And so there'll be a there'll be a widget on your on your computer, and it's basically listening to this conversation. It's listening to my emails. It's it's listening to everything. But then here's the nice part: I can use that in this conversation. I'm like, oh, we made some really good points. Let me throw that onto a PowerPoint. It would just literally transfer it over. Or if I'm like, oh, I'd really want to make a blog about this one point that we talked about today. Let me, it, it literally would put it there. Or say a year from now, I was like, man, I know I had a good conversation with these guys, but I don't remember exactly what I said to your point of hallucination or lying. Maybe I said, oh, I said this on that show and I really didn't. Well, hell, guess what? My point is all those examples, if you could figure out a way to protect everyone's privacy, protect that, going back to the mainframe, where let's just say, for instance, you have a chat GPT equivalent on your computer that doesn't leave your computer, that is locked to your fingerprints, locked to your face, then now, now we're changing the game. Now, as I'm interacting with my doctor and talking on telemedicine, talking to my specialist, uh, emailing them, now I envision a platform on my computer, then now I can have a conversation with my computer and educate myself and work on these things. And again, no hallucinations, say it's a bio GPT or a pure uh, thing where maybe the error rate is still 5%. But guess what? The sad part is it's less than a human being's error. And so in theory, now I'm going to get a little philosophical. You can take it to the next level and say, if that is the new standard of care where everybody has their own mini doctor with them, then that will change healthcare. And that's why I label, not to promote my book, but that's why I call it, you know, ChatGPT revolutionizing healthcare, because I feel like fast forward, that is what's going to end up coming. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, think about, um, so just a completely different solution type, mowing the lawn, your lawnmower, mowing the lawn. So you think, the way you think about it now as well, it takes me two hours to mow the lawn with this more productive machine. It takes an hour and a half. But with a robotic mower, it all of a sudden the it can be twelve hours. All of a sudden, the amount of time doesn't matter anymore. And so these, like if we're measuring today, and well, how many minutes with a, do I have with a physician? You know, to your point, the new world could be so it could be beyond our ability to really imagine what that looks like. 
<laughs> yeah, I love this space. I feel blessed that I'm in this space because I'm excited. Uh, and I really spent a lot of time just thinking about this kind of stuff for the future. And I feel like I'm helping to some degree with the future of this product or helping companies and advising them how to be, how to best use it. And to Scott's point earlier, when he read my book, that part of it, my goal is really the patient. Uh, if yeah. if we really love our patients, if we're at this, and I know that sounds cliche-ish, then, then it's all about the patient. Uh, you know, me being a doctor, it's not about me being a doctor, it's about me helping a patient by being a doctor. Yeah, I love that. Part of the reason that jumped out at me is, well, what can I say and not get myself in trouble? I think most of the innovations <laughs> focused on helping um, physicians in hospitals, hospitals and and that kind of thing as opposed to the patient. So that's why that jumped out at me. But let's do let's do switch to the physician for a second. If you're a primary care physician, like you sort of read an article about chat GBD, AI, you're not sure. Eh, it sounds interesting. What what counsel would you give a let's just stick with the primary care about what what should they do? What should they read something? Your books probably, but what 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 kind of yeah. things should they be looking to do better? Honestly, it's all about for me, again, it goes, I sound like a broken record. I would promote education. If I see this more in a small country town or place where they're just seeing so many patients, they can't keep up with it. And the primary care doctors are a good example because they having to see so many, they're not getting paid for it. And then out in the rural parts of the United States or around the world, they're having to take on more than they can actually can do. But that's just because they're it, supply and demand. And so what I would advise them is like, okay, Let's work on the following. Let's create a platform so that way I know it's more work, but it, it becomes less work where like we mentioned, I came up with that idea just now of us having a platform where the patient can upload information and it's a portal and me give it a blessing. Maybe it's not me, maybe it's my physician assistant, but obviously they're working under my license. And if they don't know, they're going to ask me. And now I'm really helping patients. If they don't want to do all that stuff, then to me, it's pretty simple. Then change your website. A lot of patients come to MD consult or come to different sources and say, okay, I'm going to read this. Then why don't you as a primary care being that you can create so much content pretty quickly, why not focus your practice on what you see the most? Every practice will see the top 10 of X. And so whatever that top 10 of X is, why not have it? Or instead of worrying so much, like obviously diabetes, hypertension tends to be in the top, why not become an amazing specialist on your website that has everything so that you can tell your patients, you know what, I wrote this great article on diabetes and blah, 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 and complications. I'd, I'd love for you to read it. Here's a link. Use technology in that way to help our patients. And now I'm maximizing my doctor's time. Now I'm helping. Now, now that doctor looks like a brain surgeon, like, man, this guy's killing it. This guy is so smart, but he's leveraging the power of chat GPT. He's not being replaced by ChatGPT, he's just augmenting his knowledge and looking at things a little differently that ChatGPT may shed light on that that doctor may have never noticed or never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. I think that would actually really also, I mean, I, I, that would really also help the patient because if I'm, I mean, I'm selecting doctors, right? So up to a point mm -hmm. depends on the insurance yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but, but I'm choosing in certain circumstances, my doctor, and that's really hard to do. Yeah. Like from the answer, that's difficult to do, like judging who, who knows what and who is the expert and what. And if, 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 if doctor is more able to show me what his or her specialty really is and what, like showing their expertise, that makes it easier for me to make a choice. 
to make yeah. a better choice on, on where to go. So I think there can be like a win-win kind of thing in there. Yeah. And then to, to your point, I love pointing this example. This is where Google's somewhat in trouble. Um, yes. If I have a lot of money and I spend a lot of money on search keywords and I spend a lot of money on SEO to sponsor my talk about diabetes, then around the world or in my region, or I pay a little extra so that wherever I live, that's the number one, then is that the best number one hit for my patient? Or is it just because I paid for the right keywords, I wrote it in such a way that I come to the top? Whereas ChatGPT, there isn't the top for search engine. It's literally, this is the information that's being created. So man, this is going to change how Bard does things, how Google does things, because Bard is a, 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 an offspring in theory of Google. So it just makes you think like all this, I'm, I didn't realize how philosophical this was going to be today, but it, it makes <laughs> you think about what, what's going to happen. What, what's going to happen yeah. with our search? You know, when I look up diabetes two years from now, what's going to pop up? Will Google have to change its way of making money? Will it have to look at it differently? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, this is kind of mind blowing. That's what I'm thinking, man, this talk about game changer or disrupting technology. I mean, this literally disrupted everything. Yeah. I keep telling my teenagers, I'm like, guys, you need to study hard. You need to really look at life differently. Cause when you're my age, God knows what's going to be happening. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I haven't, I'm not old enough to have had my internet moment, but I'm old enough to have had my iPhone moment <laughs> and it kind of feels way bigger like yes. <laughs> when i first played around with it it feels like okay this is that's that that the whole game is going to change yeah yeah it's yeah. interesting I, I love the thought of it happening because what you said is exactly right seo about google it's one of our focus here has been in a, just on a marketing perspective i know how to do seo i know how to do that so i can get ranked but that doesn't but but then google's algorithms change and you know, the, so today it's 2023, it's the year 2023, and between Twitter and Facebook, and there's been a lot of discussion about what goes into in Google, what goes into all their algorithms that puts something to the top, whether it's motivated by politics or this or that. And look, we just want the right answer. And so I don't, to me, it's a good thing if they're being challenged by a better solution that's oh, yeah. trying to give the best answer completely unmotivated by who their advertisers are or anything other than what's the absolute truth. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really yeah. interesting. I, I, I feel blessed that I'm in this time that we live in because I get to enjoy a lot of these things and it's pseudo bias information because I'm helping the healthcare system in a way, but I'm, I know I'm not getting any younger. So 10, 20 years from now, this, <laughs> this will actually help me in a way. So it's a win-win there. <laughs> I always say that jokingly, but it's if it is true. I mean, all of us are yeah. patients. Every single one of us are patients. And we not right. be, may not be a patient today, but eventually we'll be a patient. All right, for sure. Let's move from the physician to the hospital executive. You're sitting down at the hospital executive, the Cleveland Clinic or UNC, whatever, yeah. some massive system, and they've, they've booked time with you. What, what, what's, what's, what advice are you going to give them? See, I'm a chess player uh, at heart. Um, and so I, I look at things and that sounds like weird, like, oh, you're being strategic with my health. No, I'm just being strategic on how to improve your health. And so what I would tell the you know the CEOs is and, and the Cleveland Clinic is 
let's take advantage of this technology. You guys have a huge uh, force of healthcare employers being from doctors, physician assistants to nurse practitioners. Why not look at all your pain points in healthcare where you're, let's look at it from a business side, where you're losing money. And let's look at that. And can ChatGPT help you save money? And can it improve health simultaneously? And I bet you the answer is probably going to be yes. And then my goal would be to create a plan on how to implement this technology to help those pain points, to decrease costs, to increase productivity and help our patients. And so again, I, <laughs> I say this a lot, but I really do think preventive medicine is huge. Even if you're 60 years old, it's still preventive medicine. Yeah. I still say, take your cholesterol pill. Who cares? You know, what if you live to hundred and then you're like, man, I really should have been taking it as of 70, you know? So I know people are chuckling at that, but it's true. And so what I would tell administrators is like, let's look at our pain points. Let's look at how we can use this technology. How can we leverage? The simple one to me is just creating preventive medicine literature and helping and creating a platform. The next stage for me personally is I'm personally looking at this as a problem. I'm looking at how can I create my own GPT and install it at the hospital myself? And so that's what I'm looking at as like, can I create a GPT cheap enough that I can go to the Cleveland Clinic and go, here you go. This is an, under your own servers. You have total control. It never leaves the Cleveland Clinic. And here's the product to help our patients. And I think the answer is yes. I think it will. Yeah. I love that, especially from a pro, from a uh, patient perspective. However, with, with a lot of these discussions, it's like with, with health executives, like, well, this procedure is like, man, this pays a lot of money. This procedure pays a lot of money. And it seems like prevention probably doesn't pay as much. And so that whether they say it or not, that may be what they're thinking. Is there anything you would say to overcome that objection or to try to push them past, you know, just the profit? Yeah. I mean, and then you could flip what I said the other way. Tell me your top 10 things that are making the most revenue and let's see how we can make this even a better experience for your patients yeah. you know? because they're receiving the dollars and then now I can justify the cost. And then once you uh, justify the cost to buy the widget, then now why don't we use the same widget to help preventive medicine where you might be able to help? Ironically, you're right. Uh, I'm going to sound kind of crazy here, but if patients get don't get sick, then they're not coming to the hospital, then they probably don't need the hospital and maybe revenue goes down. Maybe. <laughs> right. Right. So that's All a long right. way to go still. <laughs> yeah, that's a long way to go. But no, but yeah, but you're absolutely right. But I think it would actually, I, probably there is this, I mean, I, I think that would create even more trust. I, for me, mm. that would create, I, for yeah. me as a patient, I would kind of feel like that's a differentiation for a hospital and would create more trust. Mm -hmm. In it, if it uses such kind of a system, because I knew there is kind of there is another thing that challenges all the other perspectives and views, and it's kind of more well, more well, yeah. Well, in a sense, it's more objective than whatever we tell ourselves. So, so I think it 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 it, it, it is differentiating thing between hospitals. Yeah, trust. Thomas, is, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Scott. Sorry, I was gonna say lack of trust is a big is a huge. Yeah area of friction in the system it's probably the best between doctor and patient as anywhere but then we go between physician and pharmaceutical company not a lot of trust there i mean the reps are coming clear interest the reps and say a med tech surgery method say trust is not great there between everybody in the reimbursement trust <laughs> is very low there and so 
that I don't know if AI has any promise for any of this, but certainly is a tremendous lack of trust in the system. And so, Jan, what you're saying, if uh, so, maybe that's your pitch to the uh, to the, pro the executive. What could if it could address that in some way to increase trust throughout the system? That just that probably gets rid of yeah. probably a lot of good things happen. Yeah, and uh, I'm just going to put a plug in from like, I don't know, 10 years from now, I do want to run for Congress. I'm being serious. Uh, yeah. And so when that day comes, I, I want, and, and again, I don't want to make that a career, but I do want to run for one term, serve for two years, and then out. But my goal is the following, to create that trust. There's so much distrust in the system. Yeah. There's trust in the doctor-patient relationship, but then outside yeah. of that, there really isn't a lot of trust. So why not? I'm encouraging other leaders, going back to my soapbox, encouraging doctors to be an advocate for ChatGPT and healthcare and be the leader of the ones that are driving the ship, telling companies, hey, why don't we do it this way? So that way it helps patients, as opposed to having a, no disrespect, but somebody from a business school looking at this technology and saying, okay, this is how we're going to use it in healthcare and then pushing it that way. To me, that doesn't make 100% sense. It makes more sense to have a doctor driving it because I'm going to be an advocate for my patients. Fast forward the laws. I know I'm getting a little philosophical here, but fast forward the laws. That's where I want to be one day when I grow up. <laughs> I want to be in there and, <laughs> and help and, and create some laws that are going to change the impact of how my patients are being served. And I'm not going right or left side. I'm just going patient side. Whatever that is, that's my answer. Now, people are going to be criticizing me like, oh, he's just a dreamer and this is going to fail. No, I'm, I'm, I'm also a business person. I know the numbers. I would do my best to make sure that this platform generates money, but it's not over-generating to the point where, you know, you look at the news and you, again, we're, gonna, we're knocking on insurance companies today, but insurance companies, the CEOs are making $10, $20 million. Meanwhile, you're hearing patients not being able to get accepted for certain procedures that cost, you know, hundreds of dollars and not much. Yeah. Harvey, I'm going to hold you to that running for Congress. You need, oh, I want to do it. I, we, I, need, uh, we need folks <laughs> like you. That, that's what the vision was supposed to be. You go, like people that are working, go to Congress, serve, and then go back to their life. It wasn't supposed to be like where you Career. go to sit forever and get no. stock tips. and. <laughs> no. I know uh, my biggest obstacle uh, is convincing my family. Let me go for a little bit because <laughs> right now I get to do this, but then, then I'll actually have a, a, a place to be. I need to be voting. But I, I think if I can serve my country or help others, that's just ultimate. I got to be in the army and that was just an amazing feeling. And now I'm thinking, I joke and say, yeah, when I grow up, if I could do this later, man, that'd be awesome to say, hey, I, I served my country at another level as well. That would be. We've hit a cup, you know, I, this third rail of innovation and, or, sorry, healthcare and government. I think, it's, I feel like it's one of the, I don't know, now, Jan and Jonathan, I don't know if this is true internationally, but in the U.S., it may be the biggest political uh, issue we have. Um, it sort of cuts across, I mean, there's sort of right-leaning and left-leaning questions, but it's, 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 I think the, I think it um, people are fearful to speak about it because it can be career career limiting to express a certain opinion. So yeah. we've, we've touched on things. So I have two questions. One's a right leaning question. One's a left leaning question. So I am expressing no personal opinion. So just let's see what's just arbitrarily arbitrarily. We'll begin with the one from the right. OK, so it seems like reimbursement policies and government intervention, they can limit the amount of innovation 
that could improve the lives of patients. It's very resistant to telehealth, an example, until COVID sort of busted through that. So can AI have a role in, in helping to address, address limitations that are just purely government imposed? I honestly think yes. I think um, this technology, I, I, I'm not going to promote this one company uh, just because I'm trying not to promote anybody. I just talk in generic terms, but there's this one company that really opened my eyes and I thought this is pretty smart. What they're doing is the following. As an ER doctor, I see a lot of patients coming to the ER and unfortunately they don't know medicine to the point that I do. And so sometimes my colleagues would say, oh, this person should have just waited till the morning. Now they have this big bill. What this company is doing is before you call an ambulance, before you take off to the ER, they're actually having ER doctors field questions. So the person would call this 1-800 number, they would answer it, and then they would talk. And then if they thought, yep, you need an ambulance, they would actually call it for you. But then if they thought, oh, this can be an urgent care issue, but then it's two in the morning, it would help you triage and say, you know what, this can wait till the morning or no, go to the ER because it's two in the morning. Normally, if it was two in the afternoon, I'd say, go here. And what my point is that algorithm can be replicated with AI, with a trusted AI. So going back to my pure GPT, bio GPT, that future is coming. I do see a future where maybe it's not replacing the human, but that doctor and telemedicine is all in one. So here we are having a telemedicine conference on Zoom, but then it's simultaneously triaging, looking, and then it's telling you and me on the screen, like, hey, according to AI, yes, you should go to the doctor. And then I can tell you, yeah, I agree with that. And then it's in real time and we're not wasting time. You know, I, on some of these podcasts, I, I give a scenario where I'm saying, it, I, I think I'll live to see the day that I wake up at two in the morning with chest pain and I'm like, okay, I got to go to the doctor and I jump on some widget of ChatGPT equivalent and it's telling me, yeah, you need to go, but then they'll send a Tesla as an ambulance. And as I get on there, um, I'm already talking to the doctor streaming from the ambulance slash Tesla getting to the hospital. And in real time, there's cameras, there's monitors that is sensing. They have a camera now that can tell my blood pressure just with the camera. And so there's all this technology that by the time I come to the ER, they already know what to do. And then take it to the next step. Who's to say there's not a printer that's printing my medication while I'm there that the doctor's like, oh, you actually need this and it prints it. And then here you go. And so there's so many things that are going to happen. So I know that sounded long-winded, but, but I see that day coming. The interesting thing is you also answered my question. That was a left-leaning question, politically question, which was, which was a, crit a criticism of, of letting capitalism sort of run healthcare is that rare diseases, rare surgeries don't get any attention because they're unattractive businesses. But in the scenario you just described, you know, if you have a better solution or if you can find the right solution or you can connect folks with that surgeon that does extremely rare things more quickly with better diagnosis, that's, that, that seems to be the answer to the, the other one also. Because if you're a, a, a primary care physician and somebody with a very rare disease comes in, you're not going to know it. You've never seen it. You may have never heard of it. So... I think you almost, you sort of answered that that question also, and it's and I, I think you guys maybe you guys heard heard of it, but there was a case where a guy's iPhone, or I'm sorry, I or watch, 
detected something crazy and he was and he, he needed he needed to go to the hospital immediately and he was treated some kind of heart issue I, I don't recall the details but you can just see all this going to the next level i'm on camera right now mm -hmm. is there something my pupil reveals yeah. is there something my skin tone uh, i've got a microphone here if there was something measuring my breath or, or whatever uh it's hard to imagine where all that goes yeah. so it is so we're, we're going to play a fool's game for one second because predicting the future is a fool's absolute fool's game. We're going to get <laughs> it wrong, but let's let's play let's play it anyway. Uh, uh, Harvey, it's a hundred years from now. I've just fallen off a ladder. Uh, I have unknown injuries. What's different? What 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 happens next? What's different then uh, as opposed to now? Honestly, I I would foresee. <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard one, but uh, just to play the game, I I would say I would say your bones may not even be broken, um, because the nutrition, how we're eating, how we're reinforcing mm -hmm. our bones, may be so different that our bones are not today's bones of the year twenty twenty three. It's a hundred years bones from now, where maybe from construction, from DNA sequencing, and uh, DNA play, uh, placement of things, we're creating just that that stronger bone. Um, if that wasn't the case, I do see the scenario where if uh, technology, some maybe it's a robot that comes to your aid and it's scanning you in real time and has x-ray vision to see your bones and ailments. And then um, I, I just see such a different healthcare to the point where I, at that point, obviously I'll be dead and there'll be a lot maybe of people, not. <laughs> but maybe not, <laughs> but, but, but my angle here is all the naysayers that are saying no to technology today will be saying yes in the future. And just like when I first had the iPhone and I would see a patient and patients would complain about me like, Oh, he's using his phone. It wasn't that I was using my phone to call a friend. I was literally on a database looking at, you know, what's the latest research on this. And, and they didn't know I was doing that. So in the future, it will be accepted today. A lot of people are cringing when they hear chat GPT, but in the future, it'll just be, Kids will be born to the point and be like, God, there wasn't a chat GPT equivalent when you were a kid. You know, yeah. <laughs> I make I date myself when I say when I was a teenager, I had a beeper and and, you know, I would text people when I was in college. And now they're like, you were charged for a text like that's weird. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Right. <laughs> and so my point is healthcare in the future is going to be so different and it's going to be accepted. And uh, the, the shift right now, there's going to be resistance. And I get it. Doctors and people that are having a pay they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to lose their pay. But then if a supply of uh, information is given to the patient and and I just hate to say it, but yeah, robots are executing it, then the need for a human will be there. It'll just be less. And, and with that will come compensation will be less. Yeah. Unless you're a robot programmer, maybe that's, maybe that's the, the, well, according to ChatGPT, it can program itself. Oh, that's right. My so that's yeah. not a good feel right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, certainly we've got robotic surgeries already. I mean, so oh, yeah. it's 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 doesn't take a lot of foresight to see those things converging if they haven't already, really. Well, just to come, we'll come back to the present now. So folks listening to this, you know, we sort of talked about the promise and patient benefits and, and physician benefits. What if somebody like, if somebody has a question, well, how do I learn about this right now? And by the way, you can plug your own books. That's that's highly that's encouraged here. <laughs> but seriously, if I if somebody's listening, they're like, wow, where do I even get started? How do I learn about this? What resources? What would you recommend? 
Yeah, I, I say everything in life is just practice. So literally, it's currently free. So just jump on AI.com, which is open AI, and just play with it. Ask it questions, ask it your pain points, ask it questions for stuff you did today, even things that you may have Googled, try it out to see. And then the more you use it, the better. And the other piece of advice is when you play with it, just because it didn't give you the answer you liked it, maybe two things, maybe you didn't ask the question right, because it's finicky to some extent. It's like the better you ask a question, to give you a quick example, if I ask a question versus Scott for ask a question versus everyone on this panel asks a question, we'll get four different answers because I'll ask it as a doctor. Scott may ask it in the plantar fasciitis eyes and someone else may ask it from another country's eyes. So my point is the more you play with it, you'll have a different outcome. And then the other that's kind of more fascinating is the technology is changing so fast and it's learning from the whole world that maybe literally tomorrow it will give a different answer from you asking the same exact question because things have changed so much and output and it's correcting itself. And then to promote my own book, <laughs> I would obviously encourage you to go on Amazon, type in Harvey Castro MD and take a look. I, I am enjoying this space. I'm doing different things and Take a look and see which book sounds interesting. And they're both on Kindle and paperback. Um, the book that I'm actually the most proud of, and it's going to sound weird to say, is my first one. It's called Success Reinvention. And it's pretty simple. It's just how can I improve and how can I do better for myself and be a better, better at whatever, entrepreneurship, father, husband, whatever. Um, but it's the one I take the most pride because it's the book about how I started, how I did it. And it's not to brag what I did. It's more of how I did it and what I did to get there. It's fantastic. We were going to plug your book if you didn't. So Amazon, <laughs> Harvey Castro, H-A-R-V-E-Y-C-A-S-T-R-O-M-D on, on Amazon. Well, well, we're sort of getting to the end of our time here. Uh, Harvey, what's something you're excited about for next year? Honestly, I'm, I'm just excited about life. Uh, sounds weird, but I'm just excited just to be alive and to see being able to be part of history and see what's going on and see how this technology is going to help patients. So from a professional side, I'm excited to see all the applications that'll be out in the next six months and the next year, how, how it's going to revolutionize and help patients. I know there's going to be pain points. I know hopefully no one has any horrible injury because I, that I'm going to personally feel horrible for that, but but on the positive side, that's that's something I'm looking forward for. On the personal side, I'm just excited because in a weird way, next year I turn 50 and I'm like, wow, I'm having to embrace it. So I'm going to start embracing it early and you know continue to improve on my own health and, and embrace it instead of uh, being depressed about it. Because when I first thought of it, I was like, holy cow, I'm half my life, more than half my life is gone. <laughs> So, but with that said, I'm, I'm looking at life differently. Like, Hey, I'm going to make every day the best and give back to people, give back to my family. And I'm going to encourage everybody listening to, you know, you don't have to fix the world. You just got to help your family, help your loved ones, people that matter the most, and just tell them, Hey, you mean a lot to me and just end your day with that every day. Awesome. That's fantastic. Anything else you'd like to let folks know about before we wrap things up here? No, uh, last thing would be, uh, if you don't mind, follow me on social media. I spend more time on LinkedIn, but I'm on Twitter. My handle is Harvey Castro MD. Um, and if there's a resource or if I can help, or if I don't know how to help, then I'll uh, maybe I know who, I, who can help you. Uh, but at the end of the day, let's all work together. Awesome. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Harvey, having interviewed physicians professionally and working with med tech companies, 
I'm convinced they need what you have. They need this knowledge and passion and energy for improving patient experiences. And like you said, we're all patients, uh, have been, will continue to be. And I love your perspective on lots of things. Early on, I didn't follow up on this, but you said one of the things you like is to have fun, uh, have fun with your work. And that positive energy comes through. And the thing that I really appreciated also is as a physician, it's like, how can I help this one patient? And I think I, I think that's we, we should all be fortunate to have a, a physician like you. And I'm gonna hold you to that running for Congress. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna harass you. Sounds uh, good. Because uh, <laughs> we we need folks like you in Congress. Well, I appreciate uh, everybody. Sincerely, thank you guys. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, everyone that's here. I, I sincerely appreciate your time. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it. You bet. And that, friends, concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn and reach out to us anytime at productquestpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. No, this is a great podcast. I'm going to say I rarely like listening to my own self, but I may listen to this one again. This one was kind of good. Fun. <laughs> <laughs>